John chapter 21. I hope you will stick around. You'll, you'll be glad you did. John 21. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. And we're going to be looking at verses 10 down through verse th- number 13. And let's read these responsively. I'll read uh, the even verses uh, by myself. We'll read the odd verses together. The Bible says, beginning in verse 10, Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, an hundred and fifty-three. And for all there were so many, yet was the net not broken. Yet was not the net broken. I'm sorry about that. Verse 12. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst asked him, uh, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. I want to preach a sermon this morning entitled this, Will you come and dine? Will you come and dine? Let's pray. Lord, I ask this morning that you take my humble outline and uh, my simple thoughts and uh, combine them with the power of the Scriptures. And Lord, may you move our hearts. I know the choir special and the singing of the songs today has already stirred my heart. And Lord, I pray our hearts are prepared uh, for your word. Uh, Lord, that it would sit deep down in our hearts and Lord, would make an impact and a difference. And uh, Lord, I pray if there's someone here today that is not sure that when they do pass away that they'll go to heaven. Lord, may they not leave here today without getting that nailed down. Help us, Lord, with these things. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Let me just say right off the bat that the sermon this morning is a sermon about spiritual restoration for Peter. That's uh, really what this is about. Peter, uh, uh, Peter... Uh, was in the process of quitting the ministry and going back into the fishing business. I'll say more about that in a minute. Uh, let me give you a couple of other introductory thoughts before we get into the outline this morning. Um, let me say that Peter, while he was out there in the boat all night, he had no success fishing until Jesus came along and blessed his efforts. No success. They uh, Now, let me just say that Peter wasn't a novice Fisherman, I, we went out uh, this men's camp out here recently, and uh, I took my fishing pole along. I haven't used that fishing pole in a long time. I was a, I did a lot of fishing when I was a teenager. I haven't done much of it since, and I got to say, I had, I needed help tying the hook back on the line, and I didn't know what I was doing. Okay, Peter wasn't a novice like that. Peter knew how to fish. He he was raised in the art of being a fisherman. He had nets and boats, and uh, he had many times caught lots of fish and sold them at market and made money. He was a professional fisherman before Jesus had called him and trained him. But Peter could not have any success fishing, even with all of his knowledge and all of his expertise, unless Jesus was willing to bless his efforts. Look down at verse number 5 with me of John 21. The Bible says there, Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Peter looked at the disciples and said, I go a-fishing. And seven of them climbed into a boat. Seven of the eleven remaining climbed into a boat. And all night, all night, they dropped their nets in the water and they could not catch any fish. Any fish. Let me just say this quickly this morning is that you might not work a ministerial job. You might be a machinist. You might work as an engineer, an architect. There are a hundred different types of jobs out there you can have. And you say, well, that's not a biblical job, my friend. Every job is a biblical job. If you are a Christian, God has called you to do what you do. And you cannot be successful if God chooses not to bless you. Peter threw those nets in the water all night long trying to draw those fish and not one, not one fish. Not one fish. Jesus is on the shore the next morning and sees them right probably at uh, dawn, the beginning of dawn, that first break of light. And he tells Peter, he says, children, he calls out, he says, children, have you caught any fish? No, we haven't caught any fish. Throw your net on the right side of the boat. Well, they had heard that before. They threw the net on the right side of the boat and a multitude of fishes were caught. So many that uh, it was a miracle that the net didn't even break. Why? Because the only way they were going to have any success is if Jesus blessed their efforts. 
you might be here today and you say, well, Pastor, look, I'm, I'm a smart person. I, I, uh, I got, you know, I've got a great intellect about myself. I've got a strong work ethic and I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. What if God quit giving you air to breathe? How self-made would you be then? What if God put you in a wheelchair, took the strength of your legs away? How self-made would you be then? What if you lost your mind? How self-made would you be then? You cannot have any success, whether you are a born-again child of God or not. You cannot have any uh, work success, minus God giving that to you. So just those introductory thoughts. We're going to look long and hard today at this idea of uh, come and die. If I could have a, a couple of our ushers, if you'd be willing to stay in the back through the service and ask people come and just help them find a seat, I would appreciate that. And if uh, you're not sure if you should do it, then you should do it, okay? Uh, just make sure that gets covered. Um, we're going to look at this idea this morning of come and dine. I propose that the master chef, the master cook, the Lord Jesus Christ, has worked very hard to feed His people spiritually. He feeds His people through His Word. Our methods of feasting on truth are this. They're the milk of the Word, and they're the meat of the Word. I've explained this in here before, but I'll quickly explain it again for those that didn't hear that. What is the difference between the milk of the Word and the meat of the Word. Um, my theory on this, and again, it's my theory, but my theory on this is that milk is food that has already been processed. A cow eats food and then uh, produces milk. A goat might eat food and produce milk. It takes the food, it processes it, and it gives us Milk. Uh, what is the milk of the Word? Your Sunday school teacher, your pastor, sits in, a, in an office or in a quiet space and they study the Bible. They take the meat of God's Word and they mentally chew on it and they meditate on it and they work it uh, into an outline and into a thought that they can uh, take and give to you and then you come and you sit down in a Sunday school class or here in the church service and the Word of God is read and the Word of God is explained and the milk of God's Word, the milk of God's Word is delivered to you. You. I'll just say there that no matter how old you are, you need to drink milk. You need to drink milk. Now babies, they need that milk, right? That's all they can handle. You give a baby a piece of meat, <laughs> you're going to choke them. But, uh, but, but an adult can handle both the milk and the meat. I've had some of you looking at me with like a disgusted look on your face. Some of you don't like milk. You're going to break a bone when you get older, right? Drink that milk up. Uh, uh, osteoporosis, I think they call that. But the milk of the Word and the meat of the Word, after a baby eats or rather drinks the milk of his mother or that milk fed to him as a child, there comes a point in time where that child begins to develop teeth and that child goes from being nursed to Gerber or the off-brand, depending on what you can afford, and then or processed food, whatever you do, and then uh, they start chewing on that meat. How many remember the first time you gave your child a shredded piece of chicken or a shredded piece of beef, and you were nervous to death they were going to choke on that? You remember that? And you're watching them carefully, and uh, they chew it, and they swallow it. And, and listen, there comes a point in time where you grow in your faith, and you can handle the meat of the Word. Let me just say this morning is that the meat of the Word, God in heaven, is the master cook. He is the master chef. Think of it this way, okay? We hold in our hands, I hold my hands, you hold in your lap there, uh, the, the meat of God's Word. Do you know that God very carefully and methodically chose of all the stories of all of mankind, God handpicked them and placed them in this Bible so that you would have a savory piece of meat to go to morning after morning after morning and chew on. God did that for you. Now, we, uh, we pick up our Bibles and we take for granted that we've got the story of Noah and the ark. We've got the story of Abraham and Isaac. We've got the story of Daniel and the lion's den. We've got the story of Jesus walking on the water and feeding the 5,000. But the end of John chapter 21 tells us that if all of everything Jesus did was written down, the world would not be able to contain the books. God handpicked what's in here for us. We get to enjoy the meat of God's Word. We get to savor God's meat. This morning, let's look at four principles. Uh, four principle thoughts uh, uh, as we consider this topic of will you come and dine. Number one, let's uh, first look at Peter's discouragement. 
Peter's discouragement. Now again, the sermon this morning is about uh, uh, spiritual restoration for Peter. And uh, we're going to look at verses 2 and 3 here in a minute. Look at Peter being discouraged. Let me say this morning, some of you may have walked in the door discouraged. Discouraged. Um, A deeper form of discouragement is depression. Discouragement that's left undealt with after a long time becomes depression. It becomes depression. And i I got to say this morning that if you walked in the door discouraged on any front, you need to be spiritually restored. You say, well, pastor, are you implying that being discouraged is a sin? Here's what I'll say about that. The initial emotion of discouragement from your expectations not being met, that on its own is not a sin. But when you ignore uh, that, uh, or rather you don't deal with the discouragement and you let it settle in your heart and rest there, that is sin. That is sin. No one can avoid feeling discouraged. But my friend, if you have the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart, uh, you don't have to live a life of discouragement. You just don't have to. You can live a life of victory and peace. Look at verse 2 and 3 of John chapter 21 there. It says there, there was together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee, that would be James and John, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, Simon being the leader of the bunch, I go a fishing. I go a fishing. Another way of saying that is I quit. I go a fishing. They saith unto him, we go also, we also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. They caught nothing. What did Peter do? Peter looked at everything that had happened in his life, and he said, I quit. I quit. You might be asking this morning, why did Peter quit? Well, that's letter A this morning, why he quit. Will you turn back with me over to Matthew chapter 26? Obviously, hold your place in John 21. We'll be back there in just a moment. But turn over to Matthew chapter 26. You might say, look, Peter, what's your problem? Uh, Jesus now has uh, appeared to you twice. Uh, You have seen Him risen twice. You have stood in the empty tomb. He has appeared to you. He has showed you His hands and His feet. If you go back to John chapter 20 and you read that, I'd encourage you to do that later. Jesus even says to him, I give you all the power of heaven in order to be able to do incredible things. And Jesus was trying to lift up and encourage Peter and all that. And even after He had appeared to Jesus, Jesus had appeared to Peter twice, and you get to chapter 21 and Peter looks at his buddies. He's so discouraged. He says, I quit. I quit. You say, how could you see the risen Savior and quit? Well, let me explain to you why. Peter, Peter, right before Jesus had been crucified, he greatly failed the Lord spiritually. Look at verse 33. Matthew 26, verse 33. The Bible says, Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never, I never, will never, will I never be offended. Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night, before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter saith unto him, Though I shall die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples. Again, you see here Peter being the leader. Peter said, I'm not going to deny you. i would never deny you. I would die with you. I'll tell you here, I think Peter really meant that. I think Peter really thought he was willing and ready to die for Christ. But he wasn't. Hey, Peter, let me give you a hint. When Jesus says that you're not going to do it, you're not going to do it. Jesus says you're going to fail, you're going to fail. Look down to verse 73 of the same chapter. Before we read that, they came and arrested Jesus in the garden. And Peter followed afar off, the Bible tells us, his... His direction was right, but his distance was wrong, and he uh, he followed from afar. And while they were in there uh, having their mock trial for Jesus with the high priest, Peter sat outside, and he uh, uh, was uh, noticed by some of the folks. And twice he denied the Lord. And then we get to verse seventy-three. The Bible says, "And after a while came unto him they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou also art one of them. So this is the third time. For thy speech be rayeth thee. You sound like Jesus." They uh, Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man! And immediately the cock crew. And Peter remembered the words of Jesus. 
which said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Verse 75 says, And he went out and wept bitterly. Other accounts of this story would seem to indicate that Jesus was coming around the corner right after the cock crew. Jesus made eye contact with Peter. As if to say, told you so. Told you so. Peter let the Lord down. Peter was scared for his own life. Peter said, I'm going to die with you. Then, when he was put to the test, what did he do? He denied the Lord. You know, you get to the book of Acts and you see all the wonderful things that Peter did. But had Jesus not stepped in and intervened after this great failure, Peter would have never made it. Let me just say this morning to to all of you here, you might struggle with personal sin that nobody knows about. Maybe you, you have even blown it publicly. And you think, God could never use me again. Can I tell you this morning, he can. He can. Peter was on the cusp of quitting the ministry. Peter was going back to his professional career of fishing because he had failed the Lord. You know, my friend, the Lord knows that you're made of dust. He knows you have a sin nature. And He knows at times you're not going to do what's right all the time. When you fail, when you fail, get back up. Get back up. Don't quit. Don't quit. You say, well, I I once was a bus captain and, and I've dropped off. Get back at it. You say, I used to teach Sunday school, but I had personal sin struggles in my life and I'm discouraged, so I quit. Get back up. You say this morning, you say, I, I used to usher it. I don't feel like I can justly stand in front of the church and pray before the whole church because I struggled with this sin. Get back up. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Some of you are sitting here on the pew today and you haven't been to church in a long time or maybe you've been struggling with your faithfulness to church. You haven't been as faithful as you ought to be and you're tempted to quit. I had to say this morning, you might be discouraged. The word, the last thing you ought to do is run from the Lord. The best thing you could do is run to Him and cling to Him. Peter was discouraged. Letter B, we see how he quit. How he quit. Look back with me at John chapter 21 and verse number 2. It says there, there were together Simon Peter, a very discouraged Simon Peter. Notice who else was with him here. Thomas. We know about Thomas. He was a doubter. Struggled with faith. Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee. James and John. That would be James and John. And two other of his disciples unnamed. Simon Peter saith unto him, I and them I go a fishing. Notice what they said. Now, I've got to say I'm a little disappointed in the other disciples. They said unto him, We also go with thee. He said, I quit. They said, so do we. So do we. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. Six disciples, at the very least, flirted with the idea of throwing in the towel and quitting as well. I'll say this, I don't know, I don't know if some of them went along to maybe talk Peter out of it along the way. That is a distinct possibility. Hey, we got kids going outside. Everybody want to turn and look real quick? All right, now everybody look back up here. Amen? All right, every time that happens, I lose about half the crowd. And so, uh, uh, just let's state the obvious and then get right back at it, okay? Um, can I tell you that no man lives in himself and no man dies to himself? You think, oh, well, I don't influence anybody. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. No matter who you are today, you have influence over somebody. Peter's scope of influence was great. You might remember it was Peter in Matthew 16 that said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You have to know that these disciples, when Jesus wasn't right next to them, prior to that verse in Matthew 16, they talked long and hard about who this Jesus was. And Peter was the one who stood up and made the declarative, strong statement, and the others followed suit. It was Peter in the garden that drew his sword first. 
It was Peter. Uh, uh, it was Peter in the. It was Peter here who said, "I quit." When you quit on the Lord, when you decide that you're going to walk away, you are going to affect many, many people. You say, but Pastor Lejeune, uh, no one looks up to me. I'm just a little kid. I'm just a teenager. Trust me, uh, your future children are going to be affected by your quitting. Your future grandchildren are going to be affected by your quitting. Uh, your uh, uh, All of the people that you know, would have been introduced into your life through the church culture and through being involved in, in God's will for your life, they're going to be adversely affected by your quitting. I've seen pastors that uh, fall into sin and then quit the ministry. And oh, the great tree and all the branches that, of his life that go out and all the people that are hurt. I've seen deacons throw in the towel and quit. I've seen church members throw in the towel and quit. And oh my goodness, the pain and the hurt and the destruction for the spiritual godliness that incurs, that follows because of that. Look down at verse number 7 of John chapter 21 and we'll see that not only did he, his quitting affected others, but in his quitting he threw out his standards. His standards of how he lived his life. The Bible says, Therefore the disciples whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard uh, it was the Lord, he girt uh, his fisher's coat uh, upon him, for he was naked and did cast himself into the sea. Now, uh, it is common for fishermen to either fish shirtless or, uh, uh, I don't know what that term naked means there. <laughs> Amen. Uh, probably meant shirtless, but who knows? Who knows? Think about it, you're out in a boat, way out in the middle of the sea, no one can see you. To each their own, right? Um, that's the life of a fisherman. Lewd and crude and crass. Peter had gone from this poor manner, evil communication, potty mouth man to becoming a refined disciple of Jesus Christ in three years. God had taken him and taught him so many things. God had given him the power to to perform miracles and heal. The Lord had, had, had taught him patience and, and, and care, and, 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 and Peter already had the charisma, but taught him how to refine that charisma to be used for good. And in a swoop, in, in one quick swoop, in a moment's notice, he did a 180 on everything. And in throwing in the towel, he went back to his boat, and in getting in the boat, he threw out his manners, and he went back to being a crass fisherman, sitting there naked in the boat. Fishing. I can't tell you how many times I see I see someone get saved. And boy, they catch fire. Lord comes in and saves them. Moves in their heart in a powerful way. And immediately they, they start chucking out this sin out of their life. And that sin out of their life. And this gets changed. And that gets changed. Their music gets cleaned up. Their dress begins to become more Christ-like in nature. Uh, their language begins to improve. Their, uh, their, uh, 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 even I've seen personal hygiene standards improve. And just them as a person, the standard of which they live their life is much more pure and clean and refined. And then something happens. They get discouraged and they quit. And in quitting, they go all the way back to where they used to be. They do a complete 180 and they go all the way back. And that's what Peter did here. That's what Peter did. How did he quit? Well, when he quit, he took people with him. When he quit, he just threw out everything that the Lord had taught him, at least for a short time. You say this morning, if you're here today and you're bordering on discouragement, don't quit. Don't quit. Don't give up. Run to the Lord. Don't run from Him. Embrace Him. Hug Him tighter. Get on your knees longer. Call out to God a little bit harder and say, I need you. I need you. I need you. But don't quit. Oh, the people that are hurt by, that, by those choices. Number one, we see Peter's discouragement. Number two, we see the Lord's discernment. The Lord's discernment. We've considered uh, uh, how Peter felt. We've looked at this from Peter's standpoint. But let's consider it from a moment from the Lord's standpoint. God in heaven, God's Son, Jesus, who is God, He leaves the portals of heaven. He comes down and He's born in a manger. He walks on the earth and He lives a peasant, simple lifestyle. 
he realizes young in his life who he is, the Son of God. And at the age of 30, he begins his earthly ministry. Shortly after beginning his ministry, he walks up on the shore and he calls Peter and many others to leave their nets and to come follow him so they can be a fisher of men. He takes these men and he lives with them for three years. Sleeps in fields and uh, wherever they can find. And he, he eats meals with them three times a day for three years. He teaches them to pray. He teaches them how to love. He teaches them what true godliness is. For three years he pours himself into Peter. And Peter, in the last one, his faith is really put to the test. He fails. And here Jesus is now risen from the dead. And he's got, a, he's got a man who has great influence on his disciples. Who's thinking about throwing in the towel. You know, Jesus knew that Peter was going to stand up at Pentecost and preach and see 3,000 saved. Jesus knew that Peter would write two books of the, pipe, of the Bible. Jesus knew that Peter in his future was going to be an apostle to the Jews. But Peter would do none of these things if he was not restored. Two observations I'd quickly like for you to consider here about the Lord's discernment. Again, picture this with me. Peter's in the boat. They've been out fishing all night, not caught much, not caught anything. Jesus comes and He stands on the shore. He looks out at these disciples He'd invested in, and He sees them. Now, can I tell you what I'd have been tempted to do? What are you knuckleheads doing? What's wrong with you? I'd have been tempted to rip off their head, spit down their throat, and then sew it back on. That's what I'd have been tempted to do. But not Jesus. Jesus could see they were discouraged. Jesus stood on the shore and He called out. He said, Children! Have you any meat? Have you caught any meat? Have you caught any fish? And I can see, they, from a distance, they didn't know who He was. And so they, they, they answered back, no, we, we haven't. And immediately Jesus says, cast your net on the right side of the boat. That was code for saying, this is Jesus. John looks at Peter and says, it's the Lord. Immediately Peter begins to blush because he's not wearing much, if anything. He throws on his fisher's coat and he he, he jumps in the water and he swims to Jesus. Quickly, let me just give you a couple observations here. Jesus was using Peter's past to prepare his heart for correction. The net and the fishes. You might remember that when, when Peter decided to forsake his net, it was because Jesus has said to Peter, throw your net on the other side of the boat. You remember that? And Peter very despondently said, well, we've been out here all night. <laughs> we haven't caught anything. I don't know what throwing the net on the other side of the boat's going to do. Lord, it's a lot of work to pull up the nets and move all the rigs to the other side and drop them down in the water. But we will put one net in the water. You remember? Jesus said, put down your nets, plural. And, and Peter said, I will put down a net. This was when Peter was originally called by Jesus to minister. And Peter put down one net, and God put all the fish in that one net He would have put in all the nets. And that, that net was so heavy, it about tipped the boat over. And Peter said, you know what, if, if he's capable of this, I think I need to follow him and learn from him. When Jesus, when Jesus said to Peter, when Jesus said to the disciples, put your net down on the other side of the boat, God was playing on Peter's calling. God was conjuring up, the Lord was conjuring up the emotion of Peter's calling. How about when they got to shore and uh, there were bread and fish that Jesus had cooked for them for breakfast sitting there? What emotion may have that conjured up from Peter's past? Maybe the feeding of the 5,000? How that Peter had distributed fish and bread to 5,000 people? You think maybe that was playing on a little bit of nostalgia in Peter's heart? How about when Peter swam up and crawled up off the shore and, and came all wet and cold and he sat down by the fire to warm his hands? You think maybe that now Peter's been reminded of his calling? Peter's been reminded now of the, of the, uh, of the great victories he saw of the Lord and now 
while Peter's standing there with that scent of that smoke coming into his nose as he's cold and he's warming his hands. Maybe now he's reminded of his failure. His failure. The place where he cursed God and denied the name of Jesus. Before Jesus would deal with Peter's spiritual problem, He used Peter's past to remind him of his original calling. He used Peter's past to remind him of the spiritual victories. He used Peter's past uh, to remind him of his failure and his quitting. The Lord was using nostalgia to prepare Peter's heart. Christian, let me just, uh, if I can, apply that to you. I don't believe in coincidences as a Christian. I just don't believe in them. I believe God uses everything for a reason. You miss church for a couple weeks and somebody reaches out to you? That's not an accident. You miss church for a couple weeks and you run into the pastor at Walmart. Like, oh. You try to duck down an aisle and I find you anyway. Hey! Haven't seen you in a couple weeks. You alright? Yes, Pastor, I'm okay. Look, that's not an accident. That's not an accident. And God has a way of playing on our past to prepare our heart. The second observation I'd like to share with you this morning about the Lord's discernment is that He dealt with the physical of Peter before He dealt with the spiritual. He dealt with the physical before He dealt with the spiritual. When Peter came crawling off the land, uh, crawling out of the water up onto the shore, Jesus did not do like some of your mothers would have done. Jesus did not grab him by the ear and drag him to a bench and sit him down and say, let me tell you a thing or two. That's not what Jesus did to Peter. Jesus knew that Peter was quitting. But he sat him down and he said, let me feed you. Let me feed you. You know, it's a lot easier to help someone through a spiritual battle when you first deal with their physical needs. Some of you here today, you're spiritually discouraged. The truth is, you're not physically taking care of yourself. You're working too many hours. Uh, You you don't sleep enough at night. You go, 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 go. Your life is way out of balance. And my friend, the Bible tells us in Psalm 23 that He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the Still waters. He restoreth my soul. You cannot have your soul restored until you are first physically renewed. Some of you maybe just need to lay down for a little while and rest. Now if you're lazy here today, don't take that to an extreme. If you're lazy here today, get off your tail and go get to work. Amen? But some of you here today, you have the opposite problem. You're a workaholic. You're spiritually empty because you're physically empty. The Lord's discernment, the Lord dealt with Peter's physical needs before he dealt with the spiritual needs. Number three, notice Peter's devotion. Peter's devotion. While Peter was quitting, at the very least contemplating quitting, deep down inside, it wasn't that he was upset with Jesus. It was that he was upset with himself. He loved Jesus with all his heart but he didn't feel worthy to serve him. After Jesus had dealt with Peter's physical need, he had made sure he was warmed by the fire and had some food in his stomach. Look down at verse 15 of John chapter 21. Notice the the timeline here, the time frame here. So when they had dined, so the meal is completed, the belly is full, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon... Son of Jonas, and let me just stop here and say this before we continue on. There's a reason why Jesus is addressing him as Simon, son of Jonas, and not Peter. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Peter's name was not originally Peter. Peter's name was Simon. Peter uh, had his name changed from Simon, a son of Jonas, to Cephas or Peter. And uh, here you have uh, uh, Jesus addressing Peter, but he's not calling him Peter. He's calling him Simon. He's saying, hey, listen, you're wanting to quit. I'm going to call you by the name that you had when you were a fisherman. You want to be a fisherman? I'm going to call you by your name as a fisherman. Look back at the, there at verse 15. So when they had died, Jesus, dying, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord. 
Thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Now in this passage we find that there is a gap between the love that Jesus was requesting and the love that Peter was giving. You be very careful what I'm about to say here. I do believe that the King James Bible is on par with any uh, uh, manuscript that's ever uh, been penned as far as uh, uh, accuracy and perfection. I'm not at all calling that into question. There are times when you're studying the Greek that the English version of the Bible helps enhance what you're reading in the Greek. There are also times where when you're reading in the English, well, the Greek original text can help you understand the English better. So I don't want anybody to walk out of here saying, Pastor Lejeune is critiquing the King James Bible. That is not at all what I'm doing. Is everybody clear on that? Okay? I want to make sure I state that up front. Alright. Uh, let me say this here. The word that Jesus used for love in the Greek is not the same word that Peter used for love. Jesus said to Peter, He said, Do you agape love me? Peter said, Lord, thou knowest that I phileo love thee. You say, Well, what does agape mean? And what does phileo mean? Let me help you with that, okay? Agape is the deepest sort of love, the purest form of love in the Bible. It is a divine love. It is a divine love. Phileo, uh, the name Philadelphia comes from that idea of phileo, the city of brotherly love. Phileo is a brotherly love or a family type love. Uh, there is a lot of phileo love in this room right here. We love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. I got to say that I love the fellowship that we have here. But Jesus looked at Peter and he said, "Peter, do you do you love me with a divine love?" And Peter said, no, "Lord, you know I love you with a brotherly love." Jesus said to him again, "Peter, do you know that I love you? Do you love me with a divine love?" Or Simon Jonas, uh, "Do you love me with a divine love?" And Peter said, "I love you with a brotherly love." And Jesus the third time changed it. He said, "Peter, do you love me with a brotherly love?" Peter was grieved, the Bible says, and he said, Lord, you know that I love you with a brotherly love. You know everything. You can see straight through who I am. Straight through who I am. You look there at those passages, verse 15, 16, 17. Jesus said unto him, Lovest thou me more than these? More than these. That word these is a pronoun. Referring to a noun. Jesus was pointing at something when He said, Lovest thou me more than these? Now, we don't know what Jesus meant by that. Because we weren't there. Let me float some possibilities out to you here this morning. Jesus may have been saying to Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, Lovest thou me more than these fish? More than these boats? More than these nets? Peter was thinking about quitting and going back to that. Jesus was saying, I called you to serve me. I called you to serve me. Peter said, Lord, you know that I love you. Another possibility. Jesus may have been saying, do you love me more than you love these men? More than you love these other men? You've talked them into going out fishing with you. Do you love me more than you love these men? Uh, let me tell you what I think Jesus meant by that. And again, I, 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 your guess is as good as mine. Uh, but my understanding of the passage would seem to indicate that maybe what Jesus meant was, do you love me more than these men love me? Do you love me more than these men love me? Let me, uh, let me uh, help support that uh, this morning uh, with some Scripture. Peter, Jesus said, or rather Peter said to Jesus back uh, earlier before the crucifixion, He said, though all men uh, uh, will reject you and run, I'm willing to die with you. You know what He was saying? He was saying, I love you more than these other disciples. I love you more than these other disciples. Well, hold on, Peter. You said you love Jesus more than disciples, but now you're throwing in the towel and you're quitting? 
Do you love me more than the other disciples? Another interesting side note there, a sidebar would be that there were, there were four disciples that weren't there in the boat. Maybe they didn't want to quit and go with Peter. Jesus said, do you love me more than these men love me? Let me ask you a question this morning. Can I have your attention? Everybody look up here. You may have fallen asleep. If I put you to sleep this morning, I'm sorry. Amen? Look up here for me. How much do you love Jesus? Do you love Him more than your house? Do you love Him more than your job? Some of you say, I hate my job. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Both hands up and both feet. Okay. How about, do you love Him more than the benefits that your job gives you? Do you love Jesus more than your bass boat? you love Jesus more than hunting? you love Jesus more than stamp collecting or whatever other hobby that you're involved in? Lovest thou me more than these? I want you to look deep down in your heart and I want you to answer that question out loud. Do you love the Lord supremely? My friend, can I tell you that He loves you supremely? He loves you supremely. How many of you here have ever been in a one-sided relationship? You probably all have, right? Where you just love that person immensely, but you feel like they don't love you. You give and you give and you give and they take and they take and they take. And they don't give back. How many of you know what I, when I say this? That's a very frustrating relationship to be in. Anybody, anybody, can anybody here relate with that? Put yourself in God's shoes when it comes to you. He pours down blessing after blessing after blessing. He killed His Son on a cross up there to forgive your sins. Is it a one-sided relationship this morning? Is He loving you a whole lot more than you're loving Him? He's giving and He's giving and He's giving. And you're taking and you're taking and you're taking. And you get to where you take it to a place where you just expect it, Right? You expect to wake up in the morning and feel okay. You expect to, to, to be able to walk down the road and be able to think with a sound mind. Those are blessings. Those are benefits. Those aren't guarantees. He's giving and He's giving and He's giving. And you're taking and you're taking and you're taking. There's nothing wrong with that. But are you giving back? Are you, are you reciprocating that love? Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Let me just quickly insert this here if I could as well. You might be here today thinking, Jesus doesn't love me. What is the greatest expression of love? So that a man lay down his life for his friend. You know, from a patriotic standpoint, I have a deep love and reverence and respect those in the military. You, you, those of you that signed up to be in the military, you were agreeing that you were willing to pay the ultimate price, weren't you? And if you're sitting here today and you put in your time and you, you survived, thank you. And I love you and I reverence you and I respect you. But can I tell you that those who did pay the ultimate price... Boy, my reverence and respect shoots up the charts. Why? They laid down their life for me, a fellow American, a friend. So I could have the liberty to live in this great country. I look at the soldiers that died who were flawed and, and, and sinners. And then I look at the cross. The cross of Jesus. And I see a perfect human being that never one time did anything wrong. A perfect human being that sacrificed his own life for me and for you. You say, well, did Jesus die for me? Absolutely Jesus died for you. You say, well, why would Jesus die for me? Because, my friend, you're a sinner. You say, oh, I'm a pretty good person. Just stop it. No, you're not. No, you're not. Listen, I visit hospitals every week. 
I counsel broken marriages. I, I pour myself into people. I would consider myself a pretty good person compared to most people in society, at least uh, better than those who get locked up in prison on a regular basis. But I'm not going to heaven because I do good things. I'm going to heaven because Jesus Christ came and He died on a cross and He became every sin that I've ever committed. He became my sin and then gave me His righteousness. You say, I'm a pretty good person. The fact is that you sin consciously and unconsciously and you don't even know it. Jesus Christ came to earth, lived a perfect life, and then literally converted, transformed into your sin. And then allowed your sin to kill Him on that cross. We are saved through His death. We are taken to heaven and given eternal life through His resurrection. Jesus didn't stay dead. Three days later, He rose up from the dead, the only human being that's ever done that. And He sits in heaven right now. You say, Pastor Lejeune, how do I get to heaven? It's really simple. You need to repent of your sin. You need to see that it is wrong, it is wrong, it is wrong before a holy God. You need to turn mentally from your sin and you need to choose what Jesus did right up there on that cross and you need to call on His name and ask Him to save you. In a few minutes, I'm going to give you a chance to do that. It's just as simple as calling, with, confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart what I just explained. Number four, we see the Lord's directive. The Lord's directive. And I think everybody here can draw something out of this point. Very interesting study here. Letter A, we see here, Jesus told Peter, "Lamb, my lambs need to be fed. Lambs need to be fed. Look back at verse 15 of John 21. It says there, So when uh, they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. Look, look what he said here. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. Now that word feed and that word lambs, underline it if you mark in your Bible. I'm going to give you a little word study here you'll enjoy. The root word for feed here is the word bosco. B-O-S-K-O. Don't let this bore you. This is important what I'm about to draw out. That word bosco means feed, tend, and herd. Feed, tend, and herd. Notice there he said, you need to feed my lambs. What is the difference between a lamb and, say, a sheep? A lamb is younger and smaller and less experienced. Lambs primarily just need to be fed. They need to be fed. Jesus was telling Peter, who was wanting to quit the ministry, do you love me? Then get back in. Go feed my lambs. Simon Peter, go be a shepherd. Go tend to the flock. Go tend to the flock. Two, uh, two sides of this coin here. The, the first side of the coin to those here that have some sort of leadership role in our church, some uh, scope of influence in our church, feed the people of God. When you teach, feed the people of God. Uh, uh, love on them and follow up with them and feed, feed, feed. Make sure they're getting this right here. Do not stand up in a Sunday school class in this church and give your opinion. Give the Bible. Give the Bible. Listen, this is what transforms lives and hearts. Not me, not you, not what I think, not what you think. This right here. Feed the Bible. That's the milk of God's Word. And that those lambs, those newborn babes in Christ, they need the Word of God. Letter B, sheep need to be led. Sheep need to be led. Look with me at verse 15 of John chapter 21. It says there, or rather, verse 16. It says, there's, he, say, he, say, uh, he saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, notice this, feed my sheep. So the second time he says, feed my sheep. The first time he said, feed my lambs. Now, the word, the word Jesus used here when speaking to um, uh, Peter was not the word bosco. He actually used a different word. This time he used the word poemano, which means... Uh, uh, which means shepherd, shepherd. He was saying, shepherd my sheep, shepherd my sheep, lead them, lead them. Now, there are, um, there are two ways, two styles of leading folks, okay? There are those that stand behind and drive the sheep, right? They drive the sheep. What happens when you drive sheep? They scatter. They scatter. One goes that way. Another goes that way. Another one goes straight ahead. They go all over the place. Some turn around and go back the other way. 
driving the sheep. That's not what a shepherd does. He said, shepherd my sheep. Lead. Lead my sheep. You can drive the sheep or you can lead the sheep. Come this way. Come and follow me. Stay with me. Follow me. Follow me. If you're here today and you have any sort of influence in other people's lives, which would be everybody here, can I tell you how to get people to follow you? Lead them. You be what you want them to be. You act the way you want them to act. I think of the old man sitting in a rocking chair on a porch, smoking a cigarette, looking at his boy saying, Don't you smoke. Don't you do this. It's okay if I do it, but don't you do this. It's not how it works. Look, you can tell that child not to smoke, but you better be working really hard to quit. Right? I go to the bar and drink on Friday nights, but don't you drink. Don't you drink. I would liken it to a rope. If I wanted to get a rope from that side of the auditorium to that side of the auditorium, I'm not going to push the rope. What happens when you push a rope? Not a frozen rope. <laughs> what happens when you push a rope? It just snakes and bends and doesn't go anywhere. But I could get it to that side of that side by grabbing it and pulling it behind me and leading it. Leading it. Some of you here today, uh, the encouragement to you is, is be what you want those to follow you to be. Be what you want them to be. Have them follow you as you follow Christ. I'd say this today to those of you here that are not uh, in our church and you do not have a, a, a class you teach or some sort of influence on other people, whether that be a, a soul winning a trainer or whatever it would be, you don't have a role. Maybe you're more leading or rather following than leading. Can I tell you this? Get behind a good Sunday school teacher and follow. Follow. Get into Sunday school class. That's where you get into a small group and the Word of God is taught and explained and you're connected into other Christians. Letter C, we see sheep need to be fed. Sheep need to be fed. Look at verse 17. It says there, He saith unto him, uh, saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved. He said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Now, again, he used the word bosco in verse 15, talking about lambs. And then he used uh, uh, another word, talking about shepherding in verse 16. He comes back in verse 17 and he uses the word again the word bosco. He says, Feed, feed my sheep. Look, you may be here today, and I'll finish with this thought. You may be here today and you may have been saved for many, many, many years. How many here today have been saved longer than 20 years? Can I see your hand? You've been saved longer than 20 years? That's over half the crowd. That's probably two-thirds of you. Do you know that you still need to be fed? You still need to be fed. That goes for me too. I still need to be fed. I still need others to shepherd me and feed me. I loved having Pastor King here. Wasn't he a blessing to us Sunday through Wednesday? Preached tremendous sermons. Listen, uh, I need to be fed. Pastor King, I still call him my pastor and I listen to a lot of his sermons online. I need to be fed. You need to be fed. Don't just be in the place where you're giving out the food. You also got to get food. You got to be fed. You got to be fed. This morning I would just say this to you. If you're on, if you are where Peter was, you're discouraged. You're discouraged. Can I tell you don't quit? Don't quit. God may not be calling you to be a shepherd the way he called Peter. Shepherd of His people. But God, it does have a purpose for you. Will you let Him restore you today? Will you let Him restore you? Come and dine. Come and dine. Yeah, get your physical food. Get your rest. Get your spiritual food. And then do what the Lord has called you to do. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning. The first question I'd like to ask is this. How many here today say, Pastor Lejeune, 